So um, Bloomberg found that there were 2,261 heartbeat blips in ETF trading. Now let's listen to that because this is a stellar find that I archived for this day when it was time to have it on. So let's start again from the beginning and just listen. On everyone's mind because April 15th, and there's some tax implications to heartbeats. So that's why we want to talk about it this week. Joining us, Zach Miner with Bloomberg News, as well as Rachel Evans. This week on Trillions, the heartbeat trade controversy. Zach, welcome to the show for the first time. Rachel, you're regular. Zach, how did this story come about? I used to write about taxes a lot, so I know... You actually like won a Pulitzer for writing about taxes, right? I did. That's kind of a big deal. Congratulations. Thank well, you. Oh, oh, what Thank was you. the story on that you won it for? It was about um, companies that uh, acquire a foreign uh, address to no longer be American, so they, they can pay lower taxes. Tax and inversions. It, exactly. Yeah. Like Apple? Uh, they, they didn't do that, but they did a lot of other interesting things with their taxes, <laughs> for sure. They're the ones who had the Irish company that was um, that was a tax resident of nowhere. It was the Irish thought it was American, and the Americans thought it was Irish. So it was a tax resident of tricky. of nowhere. Yeah, tricky. very tricky. So you yeah. know a few things about taxes. Well, I know a few people. I've, I stayed in touch with a few people, and one of them mentioned last year you should really write about this thing uh, in the ETF world. And I know nothing about ETFs. I barely even knew what ETF stood for. And so I contacted Welcome to trillions. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I contacted Rachel, who knows everything about ETFs, and she kind of um, explained, you know, using small words, she kind of helped explain it to me. And we decided to try to look into this topic. Yeah, so, so that came to me back in January, uh, I think it was of this year. And, and like Eric mentioned uh, in the intro, we've seen rebalances um, in the ETF industry for years. And to his point, there's something that we really watch out for, because when we're writing about sentiment, they tend to throw us for a loop. They, they send us kind of like going in the wrong direction, saying that everybody is suddenly bullish on financials, when in fact, that money is going to come out a couple of days later. However, what I hadn't realized, obviously not knowing everything about the ETF industry, was quite kind of how important these trades are for tax purposes. So Zach came to me with this kind of uh, sort of idea about kind of how these were effectively kind of like tax motivated transactions. And we started to try and kind of piece together exactly how these trades really work, whether they have a real world kind of implication in terms of like the shift in, in stock within a fund, or kind of like, or well, I guess, and exactly how that impacts the, the tax uh, for those funds and for their end investors. So what exactly is the heartbeat trade? Typically, you know, most ETFs follow indexes and uh, every once in a while, the, the index changes. You've got a stock that has to leave the index or come in. And if an ETF just sells the old stock that's leaving the index and that stock was a winner, like it went up during the time the ETF owned it, that would generate a, a taxable gain, which would have to be passed on to ETF investors. And so the alternative is if you, in the people who know ETFs know about the creation redemption process. If you happen to have people who want to redeem that day enough volume, you can just hand off that stock to them and there's no tax implications. And that's because of this, this kind of 
strange little exception to the general rule in taxes that was that only applies to mutual funds and ETFs. And and what's the history of that exception? So in 1969, Congress decided to make it uh, the general rule be that if a corporation essentially buys back its stock in the form of giving over appreciated property, then they would have to recognize tax on the, that appreciation. And they made it, they carved out an exception that only applies to regulated investment companies, which is mutual funds and ETFs. But back then, of course, there weren't ETFs, there were just mutual funds. And at the time, no one really thought it was a big giveaway because mutual funds hardly ever do this. They only use it kind of in emergencies. So nobody really paid much attention to this weird little exception that hardly ever got used. Decades later, ETFs come along. They use it all the time. They're kind of set up to operate that way. And so it's a it's kind of the the source of ETFs um, kind of durable tax advantage over mutual funds. And, you know, this rings to our documentary, shameless plug on how the ETF was created. And remember Kathleen Moriarty saying they didn't make the creation redemption mechanism for this purpose, but the, the lawyers, the tax lawyers inform them that this is going to be a nice, happy accident that you would be able to limit your capital gains. Happy coincidence, I think. And it's called the ETF story. Uh, <laughs> what, did I call it? what did I no, just call it? You just didn't put the title in. Oh, okay. We got to like okay. market ourselves okay. a little bit. Uh, but part of that was that, you know, this is totally legal, right? Like this is something that the ETF hasn't, it's not like it, it's exploited, but it's taken advantage of. So what, is there anything actually nefarious going on here? So, yeah. So I just started to say like half the story of what a heartbeat is. So normally ETFs are creating and redeeming. And whenever anyone redeems, they can kind of, because they're redeeming in stock, they can use, they can hand over appreciated stock. They can look through their inventory and find the most lowest basis stock, the stock they bought for cheapest mm -hmm. and hand it over every time there's a redemption mm -hmm. in just the natural creation redemption process in an ETF. That's the normal way. But what if you have a big stock leaving your index on a Friday and you don't happen to have a bunch of people you know are going to redeem that day. Who knows? Maybe people want to create that day. Um, that's a problem because if you sell again, you're going to create a taxable gain for your sh that your shareholders will have to pay. But what if you could somehow magically create more extra redemptions that happen just at the time you need them so there's no tax bill? And that's what a heartbeat is. You call up a, a market participant, um, a, a, a bank or a, or a market maker, an authorized participant in the ETF lingo, and you say, hey, listen, I've got this redemption I need to happen on Friday. Could you please create on Wednesday, create this amount? And uh, uh, the, the bank or market maker will create a whole bunch of ETF and then a day or two later redeem out. But rather than redeem just the custom, the, the standard basket of all the stocks in the ETF, they'll take the stuff that the ETF needs to get rid of that day. And that's where the question about whether this is kind of nefarious or not really comes in. If this is part and parcel of kind of like how an ETF operates day in, day out, that's one thing. But then when you're synthetically creating a transaction for that purpose to get rid of those uh, those specific stocks, how does the IRS, how does Treasury, how does Congress and the American public feel about that? Eric, when, when you see that on a screen, what does it look like to you? It looks like a heart monitor. Uh, it looks, you know, I call these operational flows or tax flows. Um, it's interesting because this idea of maneuvering around the IRS happens like everywhere. Every industry does this. I think some of the initial reaction, the pushback was basically that um, 
typically when something nefarious is going on, the little guy is getting screwed. And here, the average investor is benefiting from this practice. So yeah, I think that you was the... in, if you're an investor in ETFs via anything, you're actually probably benefiting from this in the form of not actually having to pay those capital gains, right? Well, let's talk about dodge versus deferral. Uh, can you just break down? This isn't avoiding the tax. It's more just putting it off, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if an ETF doesn't distribute capital gains to its shareholders, that doesn't mean they'll never have to pay. It means that rather than paying every time a stock leaves the index, every year they own the ETF, they get to sort of save up all those tax bills till the end. They get to wait until they actually sell the ETF and then pay them all at once. But there's so first of all, there's you're essentially getting a no interest loan from the U.S. government that you control when when the loan is due. Right. So that's like obviously a cost to the government. If I called the IRS and said, I don't want to pay my taxes for 10 years, they would throw me in jail. That's not OK. Right. So that first of all, that it's 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 deferral, but that deferral is a real thing. The second thing is there are cases that are where you don't pay. Uh, the first is if you if you leave the ETF in your estate, your heirs don't have to pay that capital gain. It disappears. The, the second one is that some of the gains that are generated by an ETF buying and selling stocks are short term gains that are that are paid at a higher rate um, than long term capital gains. But by the magic of this process, you're transforming them into long term gains that are paid at about half the tax rate. Now, that's not a big number for most ETFs. Most of their gains are long term, but it's not zero either. Obviously, the the investors you know do benefit from this maneuver, if you want to call it that. But I think the other thing to kind of remember is that when we look at sort of the American population at large, the vast majority are not investors. You know, investments are still managed by a relatively small proportion of the overall public. So, if the Treasury is effectively giving a, a loan to investors um, for this purpose to defer tax for a certain number of years, there are other things that Treasury cannot do with that money. They can't invest in in your children's playground, for example. They can't necessarily give out food stamps to the poor. There is something that kind of like goes from actually having this this deferral. There is something that this money could be put to, which it's not. So yes, the small investors do benefit, but you've got to be an investor to be able to benefit. And and how much money are we are we talking here? So in the by our calculations, in the most recent calendar year for ETFs, we found over two hundred billion dollars of capital gains that were essentially. Uh, not recognized through this process. So if you were to do the math on that, that's maybe 20 some billion dollars of taxes that essentially weren't paid that year and that will be paid instead in some year in the future. And so in the next year, there'll be another loan uh, by the government to these investors of 20 20 or so billion dollars. And there's a lot of ways in which the government um, encourages savings and offers tax subsidies to savers, like through 401ks and IRAs and and savings vehicles like that. But those were the product of some kind of policy discussion in Washington, where Congress said, we want to encourage this kind of savings and not that kind of savings. This one has just kind of happened by accident. No No one even really kind of knew in Congress that they did it. And so we thought it was worth pointing out. So you can have that policy discussion about is this the kind of subsidy we wanna we wanna impose um, just on ETF holders, not mutual fund holders, not hedge fund owners, not people who own individual stocks, 
just ETFs. And this idea of uh, tax maneuvering, we saw this year in January, uh, weren't heartbeat trades, but a ton of money came out of equity ETFs unnaturally. And in Q4, a ton of money went into equity ETFs in the face of a downturn, unnatural. That was tax loss harvesting. And an advisor would advertise, they call it tax alpha. And one argument that was made was that the advisor is being fiduciary by helping their client steer around that. Could you make the argument the asset manager would not be would be violating their fiduciary duty by not taking advantage of this? I, th- I think that's a totally valid argument. I mean, I, I don't think it's at all. You, you can't really blame the, um, the, the market participants here for doing what they believe and their lawyers are telling them is legal and that clearly benefits their investors. There's no question about that at least they're taxable investors. Um, and so uh, you, you can't really, you know, cast moral, you know, aspersions on folks who are trying to follow the law and, you know, maximize the tax efficiency of their funds. But it's also worth kind of pointing out what are the policies that were created? Did anyone ever intend this subsidy to apply to this one particular industry and not others? And, you know, if we were to kind of take a look at the tax code, is that really like, the way it's it's supposed to work. I think that's our point. I also want to point out that the term heartbeat wasn't one that you guys coined. You that's weren't right. the first people to recognize that this was happening. Um, so who coined it and what's happened since she discovered? So Elizabeth Kashner at FactSet Research wrote about this in December 2017. Um, and she it reminded her of the the flows on the screen reminded her of her of her dad's EKG monitor. That's mm-hmm. why she called them heartbeats. Um, that research uh, was was great and really gave us kind of the foundation of what we you know pursued. Um, um, but you know outside the ETF industry, I don't think a lot of people um, had really heard about it, which was why we thought there was an opportunity to tell, tell the story to more people. Yeah. And these, these trades also have a lot of different names within the industry, which may give you a sense of how people view them. You know, they're often called friendlies or kickers or tax trades that the more kind of like politically correct term these days is custom in-kind baskets or SIBs. That sounds like the lawyer was involved. Yeah. yeah, The lawyer, the lawyers basically, the lawyers told them not to use all those other terms because they, they kind of, they're a little too truthy. The problem for the lawyers is that they want to pretend that these are kind of third, you know, arm's length transactions with the banks doing them for their own reasons, but they're really not. And so a, a word like friendlies set off alarm bells. So now that they, they, instead they use this word custom in-kind baskets that doesn't really mean anything and no one can remember, but it, it, um, they think is safer ground legally. You know, I think if I was the IRS, or the government listening to this, you know, one of the things that really just upsets people about mutual funds, and I, I get it is hey, I bought this mutual fund and I'm just sitting there like a good soldier and I get this nasty tax bill because somebody else left. That really is not fair. The ETF sort of seems fair, not like a, like you're cheating, but just fair. You pay a tax when you sell. Um, so if anything, I think the mutual fund should be fixed or or dealt with to make it like the ETF level playing field. That, that's just my opinion on it because the that idea of just sitting there and getting a tax bill because you invested in a fund just i don't know something seems kind of wrong about that uh especially because it's it's, you're basically paying taxes because somebody else did something so judgy truthy 
judgy. <laughs> <laughs> Everything on this one. <laughs> so I feel like I kind of have a pretty good sense of what people in the industry have said. And we'll get to that in a second. But what have you heard from policymakers since the article was published? So far from my side, and Zach can probably speak to this better, it's been it's been relatively quiet. Uh, in terms of the wider reaction, you know, obviously the industry has been relatively defensive in some in some respects, and I think that's entirely understandable. You know, this is obviously something that has you know helped the ETF industry grow into this three point eight trillion uh, you know sort of size beast that we see now in the US. So it's obviously something that that, that people feel quite strongly about and and see as being very investor friendly. In terms of kind of like the the wider reaction, though. You know, conversation and to get people kind of talking about it. Two things I thought fascinating about this. If you go deep to the end of the story, two things jumped out at me that were just fascinating. One is that the SEC is sort of putting into their new rule to make this easier for smaller players to do, in a sense. They're helping they're helping the industry out. This is the SEC. And then the ICI, which is the biggest mutual fund lobbying organization, which if anybody would might benefit from this loophole getting closed, it's mutual funds, right? Because ETFs are so much more tax efficient. They've driven a lot of investors away from mutual funds. It's one of the reasons. And the ICI is basically saying this, you, you shouldn't close this loophole. It would, it would force uh, uh, frequent, sizable, and un unanticipated tax bills. I thought those were interesting defenses from gigantic bodies that you would almost think have a vested interest on the other side to close the loophole. So I can take the Securities and Exchange Commission first. I mean, so the, the rule that you're referring to is what we call kind of colloquially the ETF rule. Uh, and basically that's been in the works for the last decade or so. And the idea is to effectively kind of streamline the process by which ETFs are able to come to market. That's its overall task. But one of the proposals within that is designed to make it easier, particularly within fixed income ETFs, to uh, create more liquidity within those ETFs and, and to allow people to create and redeem those more easily. As part of that, the SEC plans to allow custom baskets, which is something that's uh, very much been a part of kind of this heartbeat trade. You need to be able to give out something that's not a pro rata slice of the fund in order to be able to give out uh, securities that, that are, are going to be taxed at the, the highest um, level. So this is something that will have that implication, but I don't think it's necessarily the intent from having read the, the rule as it's been put out there. But I think the SEC is definitely aware of, of heartbeat trades. Uh, and to our knowledge, they haven't come out and, and slapped any wrists about them or, or commented um, praising them either. Yeah. And, and as for the ICI, I mean, they do represent ETF companies. So if you talk to mutual fund managers, some of them are are livid about this, this heartbeat situation. And I, I think the ICI's comment there was not defending heartbeats, but defending the underlying tax benefit that does apply to mutual funds in a much less attractive way uh, and saying that you know, the tax ben benefit that the ETF ETFs use every day shouldn't be repealed. So Eric, what's been the, the reaction within the industry? <laughs> I think mostly defensiveness. I, I think, you know, um, Rachel's point earlier, I think is key here. If you're looking at society as a whole, there's a huge argument. This is why the Fed's policies, you could argue, are creating income inequality because they're just helping asset prices go up. And if you don't own any assets like stocks and bonds, it, it, you're kind of missing out on this whole bonanza and ETFs are part of that. And anything that helps people who own stocks, it helps. But if you take just the owners of assets and you bubble those off and put the rest of society aside, I think most of them are like, Hey, this is the, the retail investors benefiting here. Um, this is nothing new. We've heard about this. I, I can, I can see both sides for sure. I, I do think there was somebody quoted who said, 
the fact that they got a little that they they sped up the amount of heartbeats they got bigger like maybe they shouldn't have taken advantage so quickly so fast because it does look a little uh not greedy it might not be the right, right word but maybe uh, a little because, brazen a little yeah <laughs> but because back in the day there's new leadership in brussels with ambitious new agenda the EU's new commission, council, and parliament are all getting down to business. And I'm talking with the ICI Global's managing director, Patrice Pergé-Vincent, about some of that agenda. CMU really needs to be rebooted. Uh, I would say CMU delivered a lot of new regulations, but nothing about more financing of the, of the economies that is really needed in Europe in the context of, of Brexit. And there is one thing that is particularly important for our members regarding CMU is that EU citizens do not invest their savings in capital markets. They park them into bank deposits uh, where they are not really uh, productive for the, uh, for the EU economies. So we hope that the C- rebooting of CMU would be the occasion to get EU citizens to engage more with capital markets. So this is really complicated. It's really not. Here is uh, a video just explaining um, what, in fact, ETFs are. This is like a super, super simple explanation. Welcome to ETF.com University, where we demystify the world of ETFs. My name is Dave Nodig, and I'm the managing director here at ETF.com. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important, if not the most important parts about ETFs, and that's the creation redemption mechanism. Now, that sounds a little heady, but everything that's good and interesting about ETFs really stems from this one core idea. So we're going to wade in, and hopefully by the end, you'll understand what it is that makes ETFs do what they do. But first, we're going to start by going back to the very first mutual fund. Now, imagine that you and three of your friends want to put some money together to invest. Now, you could all go do this individually and just open a brokerage account, but instead, you decide to put your money together in a pool, and that pool is called a mutual fund. So let's say you each have $10,000, you put it in that pool, you have a $40,000 pool, and to keep track, you just notionally come up with the idea that everybody's going to get 100 shares worth $100. Pretty simple. Now that you've put your money in this pool, you go out and hire somebody to manage it for you. And let's say they do a fantastic job and they manage to double the amount of money in the pool. So it goes from being a $40,000 investment to an $80,000 investment. Now you all still have 100 shares of this pool, but each share is now worth twice as much money. So each share is now worth $200. Now, the beauty of this system of keeping track of everything in shares is that now when one of you wants to leave, you can. You turn in your 100 shares to the mutual fund pool, you get back your $20,000, and the pool is now worth $60,000. Now, let's imagine Janet wants to get in. Well, she shows up with her $10,000, but the shares are now worth $200,000. So she only gets 50 shares back. The pool now has $70,000 and things just move on apace. This is the beauty of a mutual fund. It keeps track of everything for you, but still lets you have a common pool and get those economies of scale. Now, most of us don't go out and start a mutual fund with our friends. Instead, we buy mutual funds that already exist. And there are a couple of ways to do that. 
One is you could go to your broker dealer and you could say, I want $10,000 worth of XYZ AB. Or you could go directly to the fund company and say, I would like $10,000 worth of XYZ AB. The first thing that happens is nothing because no transactions happen in a mutual fund until after the close. But at the close, the fund does a little math. They take all of the assets they have, they divide that by all of the shares that currently exist, and they come up with a net asset value, a value per share. And then they let you buy at that price. So they'll take your $10,000, they'll give you your 700 shares and change. And then tomorrow morning, they'll put that money to work going buying stocks and bonds or whatever else the mandate for that fund is. So that's how mutual funds work. ETFs work a little differently. In an ETF, you just put your order in with a broker dealer. That broker dealer then goes and gets the best price they can for you out on the street. And they hand those shares back to you, just like you were buying a stock. Now, that could happen at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It could happen at 11 o'clock in the morning. It could happen at the close. But regardless, you're interacting with the market. But that begs the question, if I'm buying the shares through my broker from other participants in the market, how in the world does my money ever end up with the fund company? How does it actually get invested? And that's where the creation and redemption process kicks in. ETFs introduce a new participant in this process, the authorized participant, so-called because they're the only ones authorized to make and get rid of new shares of the ETF. So how do they do that? Well, the ETF company gives them a list and says, here's all the things that we want to own. And so the authorized participant goes out to the marketplace, they buy everything on that shopping list, and they simply hand that over to the ETF company. In return, the ETF company hands back a basket of shares of the ETF. It's really that simple. The authorized participant goes out with a shopping list, buys everything they need in the basket, hands the basket to the ETF, and gets ETF shares in return. That's called a create. Now, redemption works in the opposite direction. Let's say the authorized participant has a whole bunch of shares of the ETF that they don't want anymore. Well, they just hand those shares over to the ETF company, and in return, they get back that same shopping list. The authorized participant gets that basket of stocks, Cisco, Microsoft, whatever it was they wanted, which they can then go sell in the open market. So if the authorized participant can do all of those things, it's reasonable to ask why they'd bother. And like most things on Wall Street, it tends to come down to profit motive. So let's imagine that the authorized participant is watching this particular ETF like a hawk all day, and they're seeing what the ETF's trading for, $25, and then they're looking at what the basket's worth, the thing they would have to go with the shopping list to buy. And as long as those things are equal, in this case, $25, the authorized participant's not going to do anything. There's no opportunity for them. But imagine there's so much demand for this ETF that it trades to a premium. It tr starts trading up and up and up, and all of a sudden people are willing to pay $25.10 for that basket, which is really only worth $25. Well, the authorized participant's gonna notice that, and they make a simple transaction. They sell at that inflated price, that $25.10 price, they sell the ETF, and then simultaneously they go out and buy all the things on the shopping list, everything that's in that basket. The net result is actually quite good for the ETF because the authorized participant is now a seller of the ETF pushing its price down. 
And they're a buyer of all those underlying stocks, pushing those prices up. And they'll keep buying and selling like that until they've equalized out the price. So the ETF may now be worth 2501, but that's what the basket of the stocks is worth too. So it's great for the ETF, but it's also great for the authorized participant because they were able to buy a basket of securities for $25 and then sell the ETF for $25.10. They made 10 cents on every share, knowing at the end of the day, they can just deliver that basket and get the shares that they'd already sold to the market. It works great in the other direction too. Imagine lots of people want to sell this ETF. It's, it's unfavored. It's a bad ETF for the day. Well, everybody starts dumping this ETF and it starts trading a little below fair value. Now it's trading for $24.90, even though the basket is still worth 25. So the authorized participant does the same thing they did for a creation. They just do it in reverse. They go out there and buy a whole block of those cheap shares, $24.90. And simultaneously, they go sell all the underlying holdings of the ETF. The math for them works the same way. They've managed to make 10 cents on that trade. And we put buying pressure on the ETF, getting it back up closer to fair value. And we put selling pressure on those stocks, pushing them down to where the market wants to be. So again, we get equalization of the prices and the authorized participant makes a small profit. This kind of transaction is known as an in-kind transfer. There's no cash changing hands between the ETF issuer and the authorized participant, unless cash is one of the things they happen to want in the basket. Instead, we're changing up one set of securities for another. We're exchanging shares of the fund for shares of the stocks that it owns. Works that way for bonds, works that way for swaps, commodities, futures, you name it. You can have this kind of in-kind transaction. And it's the core of how ETFs work. One of the big bonuses we get from this process is tax efficiency. Because nothing has been sold, there has been no gain or loss actually booked on behalf of the fund. In fact, even better than that, when the authorized participant shows up with a redemption, the ETF gets to decide which shares of all the shares that it owns it wants to give to that authorized participant. And unsurprisingly, they choose the shares with the lowest cost basis. In other words, the shares that if they were sold would generate capital gains. Over time, this means that the ETF is very unlikely to have to pay a capital gains distribution because it's constantly pushed out those low basis shares to the authorized participant every time there's been a redemption. Let's talk about some of the great things that aren't happening here. Well, first, the ETF sponsor doesn't need to be directly involved with me as an investor at all. They don't have any responsibility to keep shareholder records or provide statements. They don't have to man a phone bank to keep track of me. They also can't charge me a sales load because there was nobody in the middle except my broker. And maybe they charged me a commission or maybe they didn't. The other thing that this creation redemption process does is it ensures that the issuer is always operating at scale. They're never having to worry about a $500 creation because the authorized participant can generally only create and redeem in blocks of at least 50,000 shares. The portfolio manager also doesn't need to keep any cash on hand to, or to sell things that happen to be liquid if somebody shows up with a big redemption. Remember, a big redemption just means they hand over a basket of securities that look like everything in the fund, whether they're liquid or whether they're not. 
The other thing that in-kind redemptions can do is allow that portfolio manager to rebalance the portfolio in sync with underlying index reconstitutions. So for instance, if a stock is getting kicked out of the S&P and a new stock is coming in, well, today they could make the redemption basket, have all the stock they don't want, and the creation basket, have all the stock they do want. When you think about it, most of the things that are great about ETFs actually come from this creation redemption process. We always talk about ETFs being low cost. Well, the creation redemption mechanism actually removes real costs from the system. It removes transaction costs, removes shareholder servicing costs, transfer agency costs. They're actually cheaper to run. That means that usually they're cheaper for you as an investor. We talk about ETFs being tax efficient. Hopefully you can now see that this creation redemption mechanism is why ETFs are tax efficient. Creation and redemption washes potential gains away. We talk about ETFs being transparent. Well, the creation and redemption mechanism requires transparency. That authorized participant needs to know what's on the shopping list. And that shopping list, more often than not, is the whole portfolio. The authorized participant gets to see it. You get to see it too. As for liquidity, well, creation retention attracts liquidity providers because there's an opportunity to make money here. Authorized participants are not doing this out of charity. They're doing it because they can make a decent living providing liquidity to ETF investors. As for access, the creation redemption mechanism can make a big complicated portfolio actually quite trivial because it's outsourcing the actual creation of the portfolio to the authorized participant. Hopefully, the portfolio manager never actually has to buy or sell anything. All they have to do is make sure that the list they're handing to that AP is going to generate the portfolio at the end of the day that investors are hoping for. No matter how complex it is, creation redemption makes it trivial. I hope you can see how creation redemption really is at the core of what makes ETFs great. Without, Without the, the creation, creation redemption almost sounds biblical. We couldn't have fair creation prices. and redemption have- sounds kind of biblical. Now, before we focus on what Warren Buffett and Bill Gates said and kind of tidy up on things that are happening in the now, let's listen to the real master's voice, not the one that they call master with air quotes, but things only God can do. When I lay me down to sleep And pray the Lord my soul to keep Gaze upon the stars up in the sky I'm in all of your glory Your wisdom and your power In the universe displayed before my eyes And I marvel at the mysteries no one can explain And believe that in my heart one thing is true These are the things that only God can do Of all the wonders in this world, Lord, my eyes have seen 
None compare to the precious gift of life And I can honestly say None is dearer to my soul Than the innocence in a newborn baby's cry And the beauty to behold In the sheer simplicity of a flower kissed by the morning dew mm, These are the things That only God can do By your voice the worlds that were created And with your hand on the stars in the sky With your breath you gave life to this mortal And I'll never understand the reason why How could a heart such as mine Stain by sin Receive mercy Sweet amazing grace And when it should have been me Hanging on that cross You my Lord and Redeemer Took my place And as heaven cheered and wandered of salvation's perfect plan I believe that in their hearts the angels knew These are the things That only God can do These are the things Only God can do Only God can do Only God can do things, not man, and you do nothing without God. And when you forget God in the equation, you end up with a big bowl of nothing. So, you know, uh, the irony of signals and, 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 and uh, how do I say markers? I've said that there are fixed points in time. You can delay their manifestation or you can accelerate it. Kind of like how I said that Akbar is a key point in time. Um, there are many things that are a key point in time. I had many, many times tweeted and even uh, telegrammed um, about the name Newman, which then, ironically, an attorney approached me to assist by that name. But it was funny because the fixed point in time is actually that. And that's not something that I can speak to as it is 
to be formulated in my lawsuit. Um, and I can't speak to it, but I'd like you guys to think of just how the irony works. The irony, the irony, the irony, the irony is just insane. I'm, I have my phone on because I'm waiting to see how Patrick Byrne did um, at the J6 committee. I'm hoping he's okay. Sorry about that. That's why my phone is ringing in the background. I just wanted to say I've left it on for that reason. Now, uh, with all that that I've showed you to understand what um, uh, ETFs are, uh, to understand that basically everything you have is an ETF. Uh, these mutual funds are everything from pension funds to retirement funds to money. And if you remember, uh, Hunter Biden, all he did was funds. That's basically what his job was. Funds, 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 and funds. And while... Uh, many people uh, think of it as something that can't be undone because they hold assets, they hold funds, funds that you empowered to be important under their jurisdiction, funds where it's the same one, State Street Capital, Vanguard, and BlackRock. It's like, how many times do the same three suspects have to come out? And people are going to be like, well, you know, Soros was kicked out. Soros is in all of those funds. It's their piggy bank. You are the prize. I want you to take a look at your Congress and Senate portfolios. They have to make financial disclosures. See how their money increased, but funds were traded out. Funds. They used to have this fund that had 250000 to $1 million, and now they have this fund instead because not that fund that's $1 million to $5 million. This is how you see it. Funds. What are they paying Ukraine what money? Where are they putting? Covering funds. Bailing out the unions. Funds. 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 To bail them out so they can drop them down. Oh, gosh. Funds. And Warren Buffett was warning people and told them that. People hate him, but he comes out and says it. And this is why both that benefit from Warren Buffett and those that don't hate him. Because he actually does speak truth. No matter how you see him as evil or good, the man is truth. He will tell you. He won't lie to you. That's one thing I haven't seen is him lying. He tells it to you just the way it is. But look at Bill Gates. He's lying. It's because rising oil prices, prices are, right are taxed right. against the consumers. High gas prices take money directly out of the consumer's pocket. This not only leaves the consumer with less money to spend, but it also drastically lowers consumer sentiment. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index shows that the consumer sentiment is currently the lowest it has been since the 2008 recession. The economy works in cycles, with debt levels continuously peaking and bottoming in a cyclical form. Gates and Larson recognize that 2021 represented a period of immense speculation. The complete opposite of this is coming, a considerable economic slowdown. In preparation for a collapse in the U.S. stock market, Gates and Larson have been implementing a variety of hedging strategies. One of these strategies includes shorting stocks. Unlike long positions, short positions don't have to be disclosed to the public. The SEC is trying to change this with a new proposal, but until that goes through, 
we have no idea what stocks Gates is actually shorting. With that being said, we know that Gates has a short position against Tesla stock because Elon confirmed it himself. Gates touts himself as a strong supporter for sustainable technologies, but Musk believes that his Tesla short position contradicts this. Musk tweeted that since Gates still has a multi-billion dollar short position against Tesla, while claiming to help with global warming, I guess I have some trust issues with him too. Gates is already down over $1 billion on his Tesla short position, but he clearly hasn't closed out his position yet. Elon explained how it was $500 million, but then Tesla went up a lot, so now it's $1.5 billion to $2 billion to close it out. Gates and Musk were about to meet to talk about philanthropy, but leaked messages showed that Gates' Tesla short position hindered the meeting from occurring. Gates texted, 7.20 on Wednesday to be clear, to which to Elon replied by saying, great. Gates then told Elon that he just landed. Elon said, cool, do you still have a half billion dollar short position against Tesla? Gates admitted that he had a short position by replying, sorry to say I haven't closed it out. I would like to discuss philanthropic possibilities. Musk confirms that these leaks... All right, so I wanted to say something. I want to stop on that statement because you're going to see it in my lawsuit, the bottom one. I would like to discuss philanthropy, philanthropy possibilities. Remember that statement. Remember that statement. I would like to discuss philanthropy possibilities. He hasn't closed it because he wants to talk philanthropy possibilities. You're going to get where I'm going with this. You know, I have a friend that's geographically so far from me. I seriously believe that person is like amazing. Amazing, because after so many years of putting it out in the open again and again and again and again, myself, that person actually circled and said, fuck, that's the person you were talking about. See, I've said this before. There's people in the shadows that you do not know of, but I did take you down. One of their companies showed you a couple stuff and, you know, uh, this is, you know, kind of whatever. You do not even know this. You kind of do, but you would never in your life put one and one together because these people are in the shadows. Again, these are people. There's layers. It's like an onion. You don't expose the, the stinky core. You got other people. Again, Remember this statement, you're still shorting Tesla. And you know, it's weird because there's no fucking way in hell ever that any electronic vehicle would ever compare to Tesla, not because they can't make them amazing, because they don't have 15 years worth of AI, but data collection. That's how we're going to end today's show because we're going to talk about that next week. They don't have AI and Tesla has been collecting data from every single driver, perfecting their artificial intelligence that powers the vehicle. Uh, let's finish this. Just keep that in mind about philanthropy. Slanted. Elon, Elon said, cool. cool. Do you still have a half billion dollar short position against Tesla? Gates admitted that he had a short position by replying, sorry to say I haven't closed it out. I would like to discuss philanthropic possibilities. Musk confirms that these leaked messages were true and claims that Gates having a Tesla short position isn't top secret at all. Though Tesla stock experienced substantial price appreciation in 2021, the epitome of the bubble was the rise of NFTs. NFTs like the Board Ape Yacht Club rose by hundreds of percent before recently dropping by over 80% in two months. 
While there is long-term potential for the Ethereum platform, there's no reason for pictures of apes to be trading for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Gates recently criticized the Board Ape Yacht Club for the lack of utility that it provides. Now, let me tell you something full, full blown out. And this is like, uh, like real. An idea was floated to me that I had an idea of a long time ago, right? Why would ape pictures, you know, make so much money? George Soros has something called a DAO. It's like a fund that people can put money on and they can spend that money. But, um, it, you know, it has no liability. I actually was thinking of creating a DAO because it's not governed by money laundering laws so that we can fund our union. But then I thought they're all fighting between themselves about these DAOs. It's DAO. You can look it up. And this is why I left it, you know, Harambe. <laughs> so um, it's important for people to understand that this is all about money and the currency and the asset money, the currency it's trading on in the asset, which is you. So let's take a look because you're going to see why your elections are fixed too globally. I don't know. I mean, obviously expensive, you know, digital miniatures of monkeys are going to improve the world immensely. Uh, <laughs> we all agree on and, that. <laughs> uh, you know, that's so incredible. Uh, anyway, I'm used to asset classes where like a farm where they have output or a company where they make products. Yeah. To have an asset class that's 100% based on sort of greater fool theory that somebody's going to pay more for it than I do uh, and where it has at its heart sort of this anonymity that, you know, you avoid taxation or any sort of, you know, government rules about kidnapping fees or things. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not involved in that. I'm not long or short uh, <laughs> any of those things. At the time that I'm recording this video, the S&P 500 is still over 15% higher than its pre-pandemic peak. Gates sees no reason for that to be the case. The economy was much stronger before the pandemic hit. Consumer activity was booming and the supply side was as well. The pandemic has a serious impact on both consumers and suppliers. Money printing can't just boost economic activity back to pre-pandemic levels. The economic impact of the pandemic is still being felt today. The behavior of people in terms of wanting to travel or go to events or even go to a restaurant, it's been utterly changed by uh, the concerns about this disease. And so until we can say to people that we're tracking this thing so well that actually going out to your job, uh, you know, to a car factory, uh, to a construction site, uh, that those are safe enough uh, that, you know, we feel confident you can do those things. Until we get there, which we're absolutely not, uh, no one should think the government can wave a wand and all of a sudden, you know, the economy is anything like it was before this happened. That awaits either a miracle therapeutic that has an over 95% cure rate or broad usage of the vaccine. And, uh, so, you know, we've had a, a demand side shock and a supply side shock. And that demand side piece is both mediated by fear of infection and by the overall uh, wealth effects of many people losing their jobs and entire industries will be operating at a far lower level than in a, a normal economy. In addition to the economic landscape being fragile, Gates also doesn't believe that the pandemic is over. Gates told the Financial Times that we're still at the risk of this pandemic generating a variant 
that would be even more transmissive and even more fatal. He explained further by saying that it's not likely, I don't want to be a voice of doom and gloom, but it's way above a 5% risk that this pandemic, we haven't seen the worst of it. So not only do we have high inflation and liabilities, but also a pandemic that could still get worse. All of these factors combined put the US at risk of a frightening economic and social crisis. Gates mentioned productive assets as his specialty when it comes to investing, but he actually has been selling his assets. His most recent quarterly filing for the first quarter of 2022 revealed that he sold millions of shares in a variety of companies. This included over $1.3 billion of Berkshire Hathaway, over $500 million of Caterpillar, and a vast array of other stocks. In order to understand why Gates is selling his stocks, we have to dive into Michael Larson's strategy. Larson is the brains behind the operation. He knows exactly how to maximize alpha, which is known in the investment world as the risk-adjusted return. While the market crashed immensely during the 2008 recession, Gates experienced a very small decline in his net worth according to sources close to him. Although Larson's strategy has remained secretive, we know from public filings that he mirrors Buffett's investment strategy. If we take a look at the holdings in Gates' portfolio, we can see how most of the companies would not be impacted by economic fluctuations. One instance of this is waste management stock, which Gates owns $3 billion of. Nobody is going to stop dumping their waste because the stock market is down 50%. Another component of Larson's strategy includes diversifying into other asset classes. Gates is the largest US private owner of farmland for two reasons, high alpha and diversification. Farmland averaged a return of over 11% from 1991 to 2018, with not a single year being negative. This is because during a recession, people are not going to stop eating food. This allows farmland to have a high alpha because it delivers high returns with little to no downside. Larson is also known for investing in alternative assets such as private equity, which involves buying out private companies. Similar to farmland, private equity is a sector that's not available to retail investors like you and me. However, for Gates, private equity is a fantastic way to hedge his portfolio further through diversification. Let me know whether you are selling stocks like Gates down below. If you enjoyed this video, please hit the like button and subscribe. And I'll see you in the next one. That I had to leave that advertisement because he did such a great job showing it. Now let's go to Warren Buffett and finish his interview. Hopefully it'll all make sense because sometimes I know people like to start small and then go big. I think sometimes it's throwing you the jargon first, intermission, jargon again, minimal, and then back. That's the way you learn because it provokes you to do something called thinking. Uh, this is not some extraordinary area in the least. Uh, there's nothing unusual about this. The thing that was unusual was the size of the fees, and that's ate them alive, basically. Right. The managers of these funds did very well during this period, and the managers of the underlying funds did very well, and their investors got killed compared to something they could have done. To further buttress the points Warren Buffett made, check out this headline in November of 2021 when this video is being filmed. Downfall of Star Hedge Fund reveals Brazil at tipping point. Okay, so I'm going to be talking about the alternatives to investing in ETFs and why those alternatives may not necessarily beat the standard ETFs that we already know. And I'll be telling you what I think you can do for your wealth to help you in 2022 and going forward. But before that, guys, if you don't mind, please hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. It's a growing channel. I appreciate the support. I've been getting a lot of views, but I've observed that of the 100% that view my channel, 98% have not subscribed to the Nick Finance. There have been a lot of funding type. There's been a lot of structures that have come out over the years, but nothing beats the simple investment 
in the 500 big companies in the US. Now, this fund has seen its assets under management plunge a whopping 90%. Now, to bring that home, imagine that you gave $1,000 to this fund manager. In this particular time frame, your $1,000 would have technically reduced to $100, and that's even excluding the management fee, which will still be charged on top of the losses. So you really see a case where investors are trying to fly out of these type of funds because they're getting their fingers burnt. Check this out. Investors are getting scared and jumping out of high-risk funds. Okay, That's what the finance professor said. Brazilian investors have anticipated next year's turbulence and gone back into fixed income, which is in their DNA. So there's that flight to safety, that flight to fixed income securities, which are securities that do not have the risk profile that equities have. Okay. Now to buttress further, for individual stock picking, you would see that on a day like this, when the market is down about 2%, okay, you see the S&P down 1.72, Dow down 2.25, NASDAQ down 1% thereabouts. For some individual stocks, they could go as low as 6%. Now, this is using AMC as an example. Now, there are other stocks that are up today, but there are stocks that are down well below even this 6%. So that buttresses the point that fund managers that take funds and invest in exotic securities or try to do stock picking and individuals that try to pick stocks individually sometimes, sometimes may never see the returns they get by putting their money in simple index funds. Personally, I like stock picking, definitely. But at the same time, I recognize the crucial importance of investing in index funds. And in this video, for those in other words, this guy is telling you, hey, you know, these people run it, you know, spy. <laughs> so weird, right? And Vanguard, so amazing. You should just focus on them because everything else is tanking. They're not super tanking. Everyone else is super tanking. You know, funny, funny he should mention, you know, Brazil because Brazil has YouTube outages lately. They're not allowed to have certain things. I was going to show the rest of this, but no need to get into that. Bottom line is these people are literally taking your money. They are taking your money, all of it, all of it, every single portion of it, Ourovoros. You give money power, money is power, they own you, end of story. And this is how they control you. It all stops when you say, no, well, how are we going to do without money? Well, you can make money transparent. That's for sure. That's one thing. I mean, you didn't know that the HEROES Act was a second version of the HEROES Earning Assistance Relief, uh, Tax Relief uh, Act. You didn't know that. And that's the thing. They're making money on your transactions. You know, I, I, I had this conversation, whoa, a really long time ago with uh, <coughs> Gavin. I was complaining one day because I went overdraft in my account because I had to pay my account financing fee. He's like, why the hell don't you just have a free checking account? And I was like, are you kidding? I'll pay, you know, the $30 a month for not having that much income or whatever. I want the top account that's considered a sweep account, right? Because they will not cut 
and haircut an account that is in one of their flower bouquets. And I would rather have 20, well, it's actually like $32, $32 less rather than be at risk of having my checking account get curbed. See, you guys can go on YouTube and look at it yourself, you know, where, you know, the Bank of Cyprus, ah, they got caught for all this funny business. And so they gave a haircut to everybody's savings account, kind of like what that European was saying. People just put it in savings account rather than mutual funds. And I'm hoping that they would put it in mutual funds. So the checking account um, that I have is um, a select account where you pay a fee. You have to have like over, you know, this much money in there to not pay the fee. And I'm like, for the sake of 32 bucks, fuck it. At least I get the cover of sweep and I'll get, get you this. When I, when they sent me my, my income from having a checking account, it was like one penny, but still it has sweeps. You have to pay attention to those, you know, we're really big money rollers. They're like, oh, this is like our gold account, our platinum for people that have a balance of at least 5,000, 15,000, 20,000, right? Those accounts. You can actually get one of those accounts even if you don't have anywhere near the money that they have because you could just pay the fee, okay? And that is the difference, that's the difference. I mean, you know, free checking and everything else, it's free. They don't charge you for these things. Think about it, you guys. How are the privileged, you know, account members with all these big accounts, uh, you know, paying fees for transactions and using their debit cards and doing things, but then free checking accounts don't. They got to make their money somewhere. Are you paying attention? So all your banks have these options of these premium, you know, accounts, right? Pay attention to them. And if you can spare $20, $50, some of them charge, right? Fucking do it. It's $20, $50 that you're paying for insurance that your account isn't confiscated because it's part of their stupid mutual fund as a bank. And if that goes, the bank is tank. That's the way it is. So, uh, you know, we had, we had, we had talked about it and I said, well, you know, this, this, this. And that's the thing. You should pay attention. If they're charging you to have the checking account, look at the stipulation. People don't read anymore. And I keep saying that people don't read anymore. Now, going back to things, because we're going to talk about this after I file my lawsuit. I want you to think about what I said about the elections. Now, we know that they were fixed. We know that they were done, but there is a purpose for it. I told you. Why? What was it that made Alaska hang? And that's data. So data is very, 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 very lucrative. With data, you can solicit shit. With data, you can track shit. With data, you can see what the other person's like. With data, you know how the person votes. With data, you don't need to campaign. You already know. That's the thing. So you have to ask yourself, all of these people that are conducting efforts to save America are not doing it not all of them are doing it from nefarious. Well, okay, it is selfish, some of them. Oh, most of them. I have to say all of them except for one. <laughs> oh my gosh, and even that one has people managing it that are selfish shit. Okay, so data. They collect 
data. Because with that data, they can create predictive modeling. And with that predictive modeling, they know where they need to go to get things done. Data. Data helps you make something believable. In the sense, if I were to steal an election, I would have to make it believable, right? Uh, It'll have to go through without a hiccup. So at this point, I'd like to take the step back to say, thank you, President Trump. Thank you for allowing people to see it. Thank you for allowing this to happen. Someone said it best in uh, the chat group. I'm trying to find the statement and I want to read it because it was incredible. You said, I, I had said, you only get forged through fire and that's how you make a sharp sword. And the person said, this line resonated with me. What does forged by fire mean? Strength through adversity. The strongest steel is forged by the hottest fires. It's pounded and struck repeatedly. The fire gives it power and flexibility. And the blows give it strength. Those two things make it able to withstand every battle. Now, a lot of people get put through the fire. They get thrown into places where people act like a pack of wolves. You loyal me or or, you know, you must do this. You must do that. I have seen over, you know, obviously the only constant in my life are very few people that are friends. One of them is actually within the United States longstanding. Whoa, what is it? 20... It's 2022, right? So that's that's a long time. So that's that's my friend, uh, Lieutenant Carla Weiss, who I am thinking about every single day. That that woman, uh, she was in Korea when I was when my life crumbled, and she's battling it out now. She's the highest ranking military official in the United States of America, suing the military for the vaccine mandates. She has everything to lose. Her retirement, the decades she's put in to service, and she's in God's hands now. I am lifting her in prayer until God takes over at the right time. It's important that we see how important our oaths to the Constitution are, how important it is that we embrace diversity, how important it is that we embrace our First Amendment. The Second Amendment was second to protect the first. Under the guise of we just stopped killing babies, they've taken away your Second Amendment. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet. You're going to see it very soon. And so right now I have released her and I know God has got this and he's stepping in when he has to because people need to see it. Just like President Trump. Well, he released everything to him years ago. Stood in the gap 
to make sure to cover for everyone. Like he said, they're not after him. They're after you. And he's breaking it all down. Right now, what we have and what you saw in that communication transaction is date, timestamp, and parties. This is the biggest slam dunk done. And as you know, I posted um, on my Telegram what's going to happen. They are going to indict President Trump. And I told you why already, okay? Will they get a conviction? Fuck no. I'm literally on the defense team. Literally. We have been building a defense for forever. And even with my, my friends, I'll, I'll tell you this, with my friends, friendships are forged through fire too. Friendships are forged through fire too. And when you know that you've come out on the other end of that fire, not burnt, you realize just how strong you are. And it's very important to understand that. And this is because if you keep God as a constant, nothing can stop what's coming. Now, they will indict President Trump and he will not be convicted, but they will indict him in order to fill the news with that discussion rather than the things that are happening on the other end. No matter who you see representing supposedly the right movement or the president, I want you to keep one thing in mind. Spelling is everything. If someone says Usama and Osama, if someone says, you know, whatever, Maxwell, Madwell, I'm just pointing out little things, Maxwell, Maxwell, but they spell the Maxwell all different, right? Remember this, the constant, I have told you, spelling matters. It's called obfuscation, right? It's the cheapest form of, of, of cloak, spelling, cheapest form of cloak. So anywhere you see anyone that has a name, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, it's spelled different. Can't be like they're related. Corny. Comey, Epstein, Epstein, Maxwell, Maxwell, Osama, Osama. You know, it's important that people pay attention to spellings. That's all. Because spellings tell you who sits where, regardless of how awesome their words are. Regardless of how awesome their words are. Okay? Regardless. Because that's the thing. People get all excited about, oh my God, did you hear what Lindsey Graham said? Oh my God, how could he say that? Oh my God, Marco Rubio. Oh my God, what? Let me show you why. So again, spirit animal, I kid you not, you guys, like this, you know, it really sucks because, you know, Antarctica is far, far away. It's cold where my friend is. It's very cold. But check this out. I want to show this to you because you're going to be like, stop. I want to show you key players in this thing, and I need to share it with you. 
I want to show you something. President Trump talked about it, but people weren't paying attention. I would totally recommend that people look into these people's portfolios for sure. Okay. For sure. Let's zoom in and then we'll have to scroll, right? Oh, we can't. Can we? Let's see. Um, okay. I mean, that'll have to do. That'll really have to do. Remember how President Trump kept talking about the Gang of Eight, right? It's like my favorite thing that he would do. Gang of Eight system of the executive branch of the United States discloses highly sensitive information to the following members of Congress. Um, by the way, they all use a specific cable for these communications. So if there's any fly on the wall, definitely on those cables. <laughs> United. So here are the people that get the highest, highest intelligence ever. Adam Schiff, Mike Turner, Mark Warner, Marco Rubio, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell. Huh. Mark Warner, remember, who was on tax with Daniel Jones talking about Assange and Christopher Steele. Are you paying attention? Mike Turner. Yeah, you little bitch. Run. I'm here. Things only happen with God. And see, all of these people seem to have one thing in common. Hmm? Look at Rubio, little Rubio. Mm. Schumer. McConnell. So now that the shoe is going to drop, we're going to see an amplification of more allegations about President Trump. I mean, we have to. Because then people are going to know that, I don't know, Wild Sky Resources launched its exploration program in Nigeria, Mr. Wen Hong Jin reports. Vancouver. Wild Sky Resources, Wild Sky, the company, is pleased to announce that the company launched its exploration program in Nigeria. Three niobium tantalum exploration licenses at the end of February after COVID-19 restrictions were lifted. And then they kill the Nigerian guy. And then there's all this and the Chinese are there. And it's like, you know, people aren't paying attention. So much is happening. So much is coming out. And then it feels all muddled, but it's actually quite simple. It all stops when you say no. And nobody can say no because they need this and they need that and they need this and they need that. But, you know, you don't fix things if you don't go through the fire. So it depends. Do you want to walk through the fire now or do you want to? have to rely on a campfire to keep warm and eat. Those are the decisions you have to be making at this moment as a people. Because in the end, they all make money from other people's property. They don't care about you. You are not important to them. They really don't care about you. You are nothing. I mean, like Katrina Person said, you're, you're just crazies, right? They're crazies. Why? Because they're not on TV. They're crazies. Why? Because people listen to them. Now, you can't attack people when they're mourning, right? It goes both ways. They can't depose uh, President Trump's children in this uh, whole thing because she passed away. How interesting. How interesting. This is what they have to say. It is so incredible. The House actually voted to restore abortion rights after the end of Roe because they're pushing bills. 
and they're going to get it. So while you were excited that Roe was overturned and they stole your Second Amendment, these fuckers are going to go back to killing babies with a bill. I told you that was going to happen. But you were all on the hype train. Not paying attention. Not paying attention. Because they want to take you to that point where you get so pissed that you just decide, I'm going to arm up and go. Don't do it. That's what they want. Hold the line. That's what they want. A new report has just come out casting doubt on the assumption that gun law violators are a public menace. Get this. A new report on federal firearm offenses shows that the vast majority involve illegal possession, often without aggravating circumstances or a history of violence. Oh, wait. So you pass this law where you could take anybody's gun, but now you push a report that says, well, most of these shootings are done with people that have firearms illegally and it's not the legal one. So, so. Weird. And then we have Manchin who's rising up, right? From West Virginia, who delivered the 50th Democratic vote to help pass President Joe's 1.9 trillion America rescue plan. (laughs) You mean to cover the deficits, right? So that the idiots that sit on these unions, right? The AFL CIO already knows there's no money. Amalgamated Bank knows there's no money. All the bankers know there's no money. But the idiots that are paying into these unions and these teachers that are rioting for us and training children to do it and all these other freaking idiots that are not requesting actual tangible evidence. Like I dare anyone who has a lot of money in the union to ask for the tangible assets aren't any so here's how they cover 1.9 what a fancy number trillion proposal (laughs) as well as a bid to relax the filibuster sounds totally legit see while everybody out there is telling you what's happening in july is a super win i'm telling you it's the biggest fucking dud ever this is where you're losing and people are not paying attention not paying attention. You have all these people that are sitting out there telling you, oh, look, we're winning. We're winning. Where are you winning? Show me where you won right now. Show me where you won right now. You know who actually won? The fucking people did. You know why they won? Because they wrote letters. You know why their words were used in the Supreme Court? Because they wrote letters. Do you know why the AGs sat and attacked the OSHA will? Because you wrote letters. Do you know why they started dropping all this COVID mandate shit? Because you wrote letters. Because you filed lawsuits. There you go. That's winning. Well, everything else you see is a big loser dud. Oh, Tori, you're making me depressed. No, I'm telling you the truth. If you don't like the truth, you can hop over into the Hopium channels. You can tell them how they're all saving the children, right? And how all of this is happening. While I'm telling you, every single win you've had was a cloak of loss. I know. And I get aggravated. And I get tired. And I get overexcited. It's my complaint to the people. And it's not like someone can hear D-sharp if their ears aren't tuned to it. Ears to hear and eyes to see. I always feel like I'm yelling at everyone. It's probably because I'm so pissed off. 
so pissed off that all these people out there are not seeing the truth as it is. People like to hear good things. Yes, it was fantastic that Roe versus Wade was overturned because it wasn't a constitutional right anyway. But what did I tell you? It's no big deal. They're just going to pass a bill and they're going to do it quickly. And here they are doing it. So where's your Roe versus Wade win? Well, they're just going to make it federal law. And then your state can't do fuck all. It can compete with it. And some of your AGs may speak up and, and say some nice words because they want to stay on just like AG goes. We don't know of any 10 year old. Oh, that's weird because <laughs> 10 year old's right there. And she was nine when she was impregnated and the guy's under arrest and the mom supporting the pedophile. Go figure. Again, they will say all the things they need to maintain power because they know this. And here's the thing, and this is why a lot of people don't fancy that. On a state level, don't look at federal, the clowns in the Senate and Congress. I'm talking state level. You can destroy them in a matter of days. But none of you are doing it. There's no organizing between you guys. And here's the thing. Someone you wouldn't believe actually called you guys a cult. And then I thought to myself, are they listening to themselves? Cults have leadership. Cults have infrastructure with money, housing, uh, you know, and direction. They have actual generals and soldiers and lines of, you know, chain of command. Nobody speaks to the leader in a cult unless the cult leader wants to have sex with them and make more babies, right? You know how that works, right? So how are any of you part of a cult when there's no leadership, no leadership infrastructure, no financial infrastructure, right? It's not. It's actually grassroots. And evil cannot fathom organic grassroots because they've never seen it before. They're all called influence operations. Oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Follow your leaders. Here's your debt. This is going to be the doctor. This is the lawyer. This is the number you're going to call. Everybody got your burner phones. Make sure you take your face ID off of it and put a very complex pin. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here's some money. Here's some signs. Go, go, go. And then other cults are like, give us all your money and then kumbaya with me and I'll have sex with all of you and, and we'll make babies. That's what cults are. So when I hear people saying the Tory Sands group is a cult, it's like you guys obviously don't see that you're in the cult and that this is actually organic grassroots. And this is why Patrick Byrne said it himself. You can't replicate what we've created no matter how much money you put into it because it's not an influence operation. It's organic, it's organic grassroots. It's actual people with no bots. And they are all leaders. They don't need one leader. Yeah, there are people that do better with direction and those people are happy to take that role because everybody knows their qualities. But again, they call Jesus's followers a cult. Were they though? Because they would listen to his teachings and then they went off on their own ways to spread the teachings. Were they organized? Well, I mean, they were kind of organized because Mary Magdalene was super rich and they had what they needed. But again, when I hear that, Right? It just shows to you just how uneducated and how evil they are. Only the devil would call works of organic things a cult. Because to have a cult, you have to point out their infrastructure. Where's the infrastructure? I'm just saying, where's the infrastructure? Nowhere. We don't have any infrastructure.
Yeah. People ask me all the time to do things for a cause. What they don't understand is that this is grassroots and everybody hates it because they've spent money and time and tactical operations. And, you know, they're paying a bunch of people to do a whole lot of bullshit. I mean, they have operations deployed so you can watch the, the election machines. Like what the fuck's that going to do? How's that going to help us? They're already rigged and you can't even talk about it because that's going to be criminalized soon. So why are you focusing on that rather than the problem, which is technology? And this goes to a conversation that I should have with actual Mike Tremarco too on. So, you know, the whole argument of having electronic voting machines, right, was sold to the people as a way like that old commercial that I showed you of electronic transferring of funds, right? Efficiency. In our elections, we don't need efficiency. We need it to be correct and accurate. So why are we using technology that's muddling up everything that doesn't make sense, that's costing us more money and more headaches, and on top of that, making the whole process non-transparent? We can't see what's going on, right? We can't see what's going on. Do you know how your election infrastructure is? Some of you are like, well, my state's in control. But then when you go to your state, they're like, well, DHS is in control. Well, DHS is a federal entity. That's kind of weird. Oh, but then it's the secretary state. Is it the secretary state? So why is DHS creating these meetings with all the election voting companies and Comcast? And why are they on top of it? Wait a minute. Do we have federalized elections and we don't know? No, we don't. We didn't pass a bill. But they're doing everything that infers that it's federalized. Now, <laughs> you're so dumb, Tori. Look, the attorney generals of every state would have been on top of it, would they? Though, Just like they were on top of that 10-year-old. You see, this is it. This is exactly it. People are missing the bigger picture. They're not taking the 40,000-foot view. They're not paying attention. People don't like to work. They don't like to get their hands dirty. They don't like to get things done. And then when people see things being done as a collective and not as a hive, as a collective, hive minds are led by the nose. You create an organization, you have a bunch of people, they're searching, they're creating data. And then they're like, yeah, look at what we're doing. And it's like, yeah, you're not doing anything except for collecting data and, uh, you know, putting out an influence operation. Oh, you should use this platform so you can help fund your influence operation. Oh, you should do this so you can help fund this influence operation. See, and this is where they come back to. It's a cult. Show me where the leader is because there isn't one. Show me where the financial infrastructure is because there isn't one because I actually think that that is defined on how the infrastructure is. So when people say that, they're mad. They're mad. They're mad that they can't replicate. They're mad that they can't control you. They're mad. They're mad. They're mad. They're mad. And it's like, you're mad because you just realize that you're evil. Not my fault. It's just a mirror. See, this is the way it is. All of them do that. You know what a cult is? Right. Someone said it. NFL. Right. That's a cult. (laughs) Money, infrastructure. And then they had the contact tracing apps built on football. If you remember from North Dakota with the Bison app, right? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Again, we're not allowed to talk about the elections because the elections were supposedly fair and safe. Were they, though? Is there a chain of custody? No. You can use names all you want. You can toy and you can, uh, you know, smack down uh, the people. But names matter. 
And what you say matters. People don't forget that. You know, people call people names, people identify groups with names. But what they don't realize is one day when you're out on your ass because you have no more money and no job, divorced, in the gutter, you're going to remember that it all came down to just saying a name. Maybe the wrong one, maybe the right one, but that's the way it goes. So for my archivist, if you can split this episode into an hour and a half, I know it was a lot of financial information. I want people to understand this. I told you that July was going to be crazy, and it is. While all of you thought that at the end of June, it sealed the fate for July, you know, it was a win. Babies are rejoicing that it was done by SCOTUS, but again, 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 again. This was done and the leak happened for a specific reason. To give them a heads up to run, which is to create the law. I told you that. Go back to Tori said, I told you that. This wasn't, this was a win in the books of history. But in essence, it was a loss because that's exactly where they're going. And people don't like the truth and that's okay. But you know, be careful what kind of names you use. Because it's those names that are going to take you down. Speaking of names, wait till you see the name of a shadow creature you know is in your face and you would never guess. <laughs> Some new mans. And no, I'm not referencing my old attorney or Emily Newman that worked at the White House and with the getter guy and with um, other people to fuck shit up. I'm talking about just a new man. Like a new, like br- new. So, uh, what I would like to say is prayer is important during birthdays and anniversaries and funerals. People get together. We pray for protection, pray. God bless everyone. And remember, be careful with those names. They're going to try to call you names, label you with things till you're ashamed. You're a sexist or a racist, white supremacist or gay. They'll attack your reputation, claim that you're the one to blame, and try to make you hate yourself for ways that you behave. They're just names. Embrace them and they'll never cause you pain. They're just words that another person thought up in their brain. They're just names. They do not define you. That's insane. And they'll just call you something different if you change. Call me racist. I don't make no BLM donations. I can stand with black folks without a branded corporation. All this systemic prejudice. If you live in this nation, you privileged, black or Caucasian. Call me transphobic, but I support you in your policies. I just can't ignore the very basics of biology. All I see is men and women trying to live in harmony. Not a hundred genders that you want to be. Call me snowflake, because I'm offended. I ain't stone-faced. Social justice warriors destroying us with woke ways. Mad because they voted for the POTUS with the most hate. <laughs> Man, I miss the old days. Call me loser, call me bigot, call me stupid, call me bitter, call me ugly, call me cracker, call me doucher, call me trigger. You can call me what you want, cause at the end of the day, man, they're just names. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. We ain't tripping cause we heard it all before. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no pain. Your words ain't gonna hurt us anymore. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. Y'all are tripping, but I hope you find the Lord. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no shame. Call us everything you want, I'm getting bored. They gon' try to call you names, label you with things till you're ashamed. Repeat it till you really start believing what they say. They gon' stamp it on your forehead and scream it till you break. They love to say they woke, they not awake. 
They're just names, afraid of anyone who ain't the same. So they classify your thoughts as controversial, not okay. Then they cancel you till everything you have all gets erased. They're trying to tell the world you bad, they're just names. Call me conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat. I'm somewhere in the middle, but y'all don't know what to do with that. The system got you so obsessed with classifying right or left. You never call a person human, call them names instead. Call me sexist, men run the world cause they're aggressive. But behind every man there's a woman just as successful. We will never be equal in every way that ain't helpful. Our differences are why we're great together. Call me white devil, I know you think the system favors me My privilege is residual benefits from the slavery Subconscious prejudice embedded in the system made for me Don't mean I never struggled to survive, I guess we ain't agree Ignorant and jaded, call me dumb, uneducated Call me idiot or redneck or delusional or crazy Call me anything society has taught you to say Cause at the end of the day, they're just names Go ahead and call us names, dog. do your thing We ain't tripping cause we heard it all before Your sticks and your stones might break my bones, but your words don't hurt. So give me your words! Stupid loser, ugly poser, moron, liar, crazy loner. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. We ain't tripping because we heard it all before. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no pain. Your words ain't gonna hurt us anymore. Go ahead and call us names, dog. Do your thing. Y'all ain't tripping, but I hope you find the Lord. Give a damn about the names, dog. We feel no shame Call us anything you want, I'm getting bored